That'd be a fascinating interview sometime to talk to people from Snopes to see what they do on a daily basis, sleuthing the scams. <laughs> yeah. That'd be amazing. All right, let's... Uh, that was my uh, band name in high school. Sleuthing the scams? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> what kind of music was that? Uh, it was punk rock. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. It's like got this whole Sherlock Holmes theme. They'd all dress up in like Sherlock stuff. Yeah. Hey, with like computers. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking yeah. like sleuthing the skin. They didn't even play instruments. They like, just played computers. Dr. Watson. Dr. Watson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was good. Thanks, man. That was good. That's Stan. <laughs>
For those who might be curious about the way a podcast works, what is the process for us deciding on a topic? Is it just us sitting around, the four of us, and kicking around ideas? Or yeah, it's yeah, you guys sort of talking, and I'm like super afraid to show up in case people don't like <laughs> the ideas that come up. I can yeah. always sort of disavow and be like, I just showed up. Like, like, I didn't even know what we were talking about. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, I, kind of, that's what it is. We just talk about things that um, are uh, other people are talking about or things that we're passionate about. We kind of got together and we kicked around some ideas that we thought might be interesting to talk about. And then we decided based on that, what are, like, can we combine some of those or could we do longer episodes based on some of those yeah. topics or, you know, what are different ways that we could approach that topic? Yeah, so. I feel like we throw a lot of things against the wall and a few things stick. Or yeah. it, it, we would love for more things to stick, but we only have so much time and the ability to record so many episodes in a given season so right. it's it's probably more about that than it is like hey this is a bad idea because yeah i would love to have talked about everything that we threw out there at our meeting me too and I, some of our best ideas too i think come from listeners or friends that say hey yeah. have you guys thought about talking about this or that's a good point yeah. it's not just like me coming in with my own passions that we are actually looking at what's happening in the world and trying yeah. to have discussions about it. Absolutely. Just, yeah. yeah. And if you have any suggestions, you can always email droark oh at villagechurch.net. <laughs> That's a good point. Send them all. Send them all my way. Yep. Well, last season, one of our planned topics actually fell through. We had planned to speak on something and then kind of gather together that day. And whatever we had wanted to do that day was not going to happen. And so one of the things we did is just bounce around four kind of mini topics and so that went so well, and I feel like the reception, it was well-received. Mm-hmm. We decided to do that maybe more a regular basis, maybe more planned. And so today's episode is actually one of those where we talk about several different topics almost in a quick hit fashion where we'll talk about it for a few minutes and then make hard turns to a completely separate topic. And so that's what we're doing today. So let's, let's jump right in. Our first one, first one, this was my suggestion. I know it wasn't the most popular suggestion in the room. but I loved it. Thank you, David. There was one person who didn't. Thank you. Well, uh, you know. Some people have different opinions. Yeah. Well, we don't shame people over that. Mm. Don't we? I don't know. Yeah, we do. (laughs) Well, the first thing I want to talk about, and this is because it's happened to me a ton lately, but I've also seen it happening to people around me and talked to other people around me. Literally yesterday, I got two phone calls from somebody. It was a robot trying to get me to reconsider (laughs) insurance. But you... When you say it's happened to you a couple of times, you mean you've gone through with it, right? Oh, yeah, big time. <laughs> I've lost a fortune. <laughs> what we're talking about is email and phone scams where, I don't know, not a week goes by now. Usually, every, almost every day, I get a phone call from some number that's not on my phone, and it turns out to be either a, a robot who's talking to me about insurance, or maybe it's a person with a thick accent who wants me to reconsider the IRS and they're telling me that police officers are coming to my house if I don't pay them thousands of dollars. But in addition, uh, email, email scams are really popular. Have you guys gotten these phone calls, or am well, I the only I, one? I was going to say, I think we should pull the room. Do you guys feel like you get hit up for phone or email scams? I'm just wondering if it's like... I feel I, like email. like Phone scams I get every day. I get probably three or four calls a day. Wow. Yeah. Maybe you guys just answer your phones more than I do. I'd never answer Dude, my phone. Dude, it's <laughs> so enticing to me to like answer a phone call from a number I don't know. Like, there's yeah. something about that. I, I, you, oh, really? <laughs> yes. Like, I'm just really? always I am interested. The like, who, who could this be calling me from New York right now? <laughs> who you wants know who? to know what I think? Yeah. I, I kind of wonder, I, sh- I wonder if they just blanket call people or if they're calling people based off of like an age range, you know, like, oh, maybe. you know what I mean? Because I feel like I don't get those calls a ton, and I'm only 18, so... um, so How old are you actually, Chris? I'm 31. Okay. But you don't ever get these phone calls? I mean, I get... 
I feel like I get calls fairly often to um, change my insurance. Okay. Is but are they, ro- are they robots? I don't think that's... No. I, what do you mean by robot, I mean, by it's the way? Every time you say that, I imagine like an actual like robot. It is. It is. AI. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is yeah. Skynet. Uh <laughs> No, it's a it's a recorded voice. Okay. It like clicks in a second after you answer. Yep. So you know that it's it's a machine. It's not a person. I'm, so listen, it, they, I can pull it up right now. Yeah, yeah why don't you? Uh, I can play like yeah, just a little bit one. of one. This is from my phone. You can hear what it sounds like. Uh, this is sort of this is a robot. One. This is I, I don't know if it's a I don't know that I would choose that language Wally? to describe okay. it. But... Oh, oh. <laughs> that's sketchy, man. Yeah, that's <laughs> crazy. Hang on, let me get it. Only you can hear it. With our open enrollment PPO plan, you are covered from day one and receive coverage for... Blah, blah, blah. blah. Yeah, is that I a scam or is one. that spam? I mean, I get that. It's spam. No. That's spam. It's spam. Yeah, that's just them trying to get you to... Uh... <laughs> Adam is not sure. <laughs> I mean, it there, could be a scam. It really... But there, I mean... are, there, there are IRS calls that I get from maybe once a year Whoa. where it's somebody... And it sounds like a robot. Right. Uh, sometimes where it's like you will have the police come to your house yeah, yeah. unless you call this number. Yeah, those are the ones I get real people on. And get... Sometimes you get real people on it. Yeah. I, I the first me so bad. Well, it's crazy, but here's the thing. I've gone on like a as you guys know, I do the YouTube black holes many yeah. times. Uh-huh. And one of I just found this channel where a guy will answer all of these and he will chase them down yes. and then like infect their computers with viruses and wipe their wipe their whole wow. computer. So like he's on one and he's like, like a online crusader basically yeah. yeah thank god for him i know that's pretty sad <laughs> no i love i think that's really popular right now too i see videos pop up all the time of people trying to scam the scammer to waste their time yeah because here's the reality people would not do these scams if somebody out there wasn't falling for them right but I, right. when a robot which i will keep using that language calls me or when a person with a thick accent pretending to be the irs but they don't have any actual information about me yeah so i know it's obviously a scam i'm not falling for it yeah. But there is a segment of our culture, and I've seen this, who mm-hmm. does fall for these things. Have you guys seen that? Yeah. I would say I was pretty close to being scammed at one point. Maybe they got some of my information. It was one of I needed customer service, I think, for maybe it was internet or something at that time. This was several years ago, and then yeah. I just Googled the phone number really quickly, which is a bad idea. You need right. to go to the official website and yeah, find yeah. The, the phone number because there are so many just you know fraud phone numbers out yeah. there. And I called. They're trying to get my credit card information, my social security, and then I'm like, "This isn't normal for what I call AT and T. They normally just need my like username and maybe a password, right? At, at best, right? Or at most. But they're, I mean, yeah, there's tons of scams out there that are super clever. I mean, the website can look almost exactly like the actual website, and if you're not paying attention, you know, even like the other day, I was trying to find tracking on a UPS package. I clicked like the first thing that came up when I. Did UPS tracking, and then it's like trying to get me to download a file or whatever. Oh, yeah. I'm like, hang on, th- I don't need to do that. You so know? my understanding is generally the elderly are pretty. Yeah. I know that sounds bad, but I'm just being on. I, my understanding is it's generally the elderly who get scammed fairly easily. I right. know yeah. one time my grandmother, some guy called and gave her my brother's name and was saying, "This is my, you know my brother's name," and, and saying like, "I'm." been in an accident i need money wow but somehow they wow. found out his information and all kinds of stuff but then like you get the spam calls 
And those are super frustrating. There's one in Grand Prairie. Or it must be some kind of clone or ghost account. But there's Wait, one. I get a call from Grand Prairie all the time. And if you notice, what it does is it mirrors your um, your own phone number. So yep. like six Four. of the digits yep. will look exactly like your phone. And if you call it back, I've even called the numbers back, and it'll be somebody else's number. It's not the place. It's like somehow it hijacks and is able to use a number that's already in existence to call you or like, yeah. or it gives yeah. you the wrong – or just gives you the wrong data. Uh, you, Honestly, I don't know how this stuff is legal. It'd be interesting. One thing that would be super interesting is to understand how these things get set up, the spam ones and the scam ones. I think it'd be super interesting, like this Grand Prairie. I'd love to, like, go to the call center and, like, talk to these people and be like, what do you, you know, like, what is this? And then I'd love to know who they get responses. I just like to know all the scam ones are different. It seems to me. There's probably like human tragedy underneath all of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, that's like, why I think there's there's a this is the inlet of the the Christian church and what we should be thinking about is because yeah. you and I may not fall for scams maybe as easy as others because maybe we're a little more tech savvy yeah. than we might think. But I do hear a lot about elderly populations yeah. and then immigrant populations. Yeah, getting scammed. We've seen yeah. people yeah. who have gotten uh, what we would consider spam in the snail mail where you would get like an envelope that has a credit card from Disney in it and it yeah. just says this is free money. And where you and I might throw that away automatically, we've seen refugees open those things up and fight tooth and nail to say, no, 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 they are trying to send me free money. Why would I throw that away? Mm. And these are the people that are being preyed upon. So what did we do as the church or as those who may have an opportunity to protect those from scams or address scams, not just ignore it because they're obnoxious to us, but enter in and say, let's do something about it. David, I know you're really passionate about making sure people know what to trust and not to trust when it comes to the internet. Yeah. Is that, Talk yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's it does. There is an age factor here, and it, not, it may not even be like the elderly because it's like my parents are very in, intelligent people, but you know they're they're at a certain age where they didn't grow up, you know, on the internet the way that we did, yeah. and so that they're just not as trained maybe to see some or of these cynical. things, yeah, or cynical. I yeah. mean, that has something to do with it too. But because my like, like if I'm trying to teach someone how to to go about like hunting out these things or to make sure that, you know, you don't just read some article online and assume that it's fact Yeah, is that like, just my, my like gut response to everything is like, Oh, someone just made that up or, Oh, this is just, you know, some sort of scammer or yeah. something like that. Like that's my default trying to sell so, you. Yeah. Something. Yeah. So I, th- so I go into everything assuming that it's wrong or assuming that it's made up or assuming that they're trying to wrong me in some way, which is a good practice maybe for, <laughs> For like the internet and these things, but then you start to think about like, oh, do I do that all the time with everything? Because <laughs> yeah. that doesn't sound very Christian. To of never me. trust. Yeah, to never trust or just yeah. assume that people are always out to get me. Not that I'm some. It's a tough conspiracy balance. Theorist, but you know, it's a tough line to walk because yeah, I think the best rule of thumb with the internet is like verify the information before you trust it. You know, but. You can't do that with your relationships. Like if I did that with my wife, it would not go well. <laughs> you know? So yeah, I don't. That, that's a difficult thing to navigate. All right. Well, I think we've really laid that to rest. Adam's going to look into it more on uh, Culture Matters reports <laughs> yeah, investigation. We'll, yeah, we'll and investigative then, uh, journalism. If we be, maybe if we become scammers, we'll really get an inside view. One of, thing that may be helpful, and we could maybe look it up and put in show notes, is there are like consumer protection agents. Like there is a oh, commission yeah. in Texas that if people are harassing you, you're able to make like reports to them. Yeah. Uh, it is their job to like find out about these scams and find out about these even this spam stuff and. Um, 
and and shut it down. So there's laws around it. There's a certain amount of time they're allowed to call you. All these different things. But I do think um, if the, if may, maybe there's a way to report these things. So I don't know. Yeah. The, the other thing, and this isn't gonna maybe bring up all the scams, but in terms of like myths and rumors on the internet, are you guys familiar with Snopes.com? Yeah. 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 Yeah, Snopes. That's a very helpful website, especially yeah. if you're like the Facebook person that sees this crazy article about this fruit that's going to make us all die or something crazy like that. Like, and then you just start sharing. Uh, like I just, you, that yeah. happens all the time on Facebook. It's like the first thing you should do if you, if you're unsure about something or if something you're like, Oh, that's a very new idea. Like just go put it into Snopes and see if it's, if it's actually a fact. And some scams yeah. are, are in Snopes as well. I know. Yeah. So. All right. Our second topic today, no surprise to, uh, those who know the people in the room, we're going to talk about a movie. There's a brand new movie coming out, or just came out, called Black Klansman, yep. which uh, two of us have seen and two of us have not. So those of you who have seen it, why don't you walk us through a little bit about what it's about, and let's talk about the the cultural impact of a movie like this and and what you guys liked or what you wish was different about it. Sure, sure. Um, this is a new movie by Spike Lee. It's his latest film. It's uh, I would say it's a crime film, but it's a crime film that explores the topic of race. It's yeah. set in 1972. Follows a uh, African American uh, police officer who, who's the first African American police officer to join the police force in Colorado Springs, and this guy is played by um, John, John David Washington, who is the uh, the son of Denzel Washington, which was a surprise, I think, to I didn't know that you guys earlier yeah. when I told you that. Yeah, no um, idea. He does a wonderful job, and his partner. There are multiple cops in the movie who play a role, but his partner essentially becomes a guy played by Adam Driver, who is a Jewish American, which adds a dynamic because the whole plot centers around. He joins the police force, and his his goal after falling in love um, with this uh, the student of the uh, gosh, what is it? the Black Student Union? Black student yeah, union. the Black Student Union. Um, he starts to fall for her, and I think he starts to kind of have some realizations about his black identity and what's important. I think those things are already important to him, but it bec- they become more important as he falls in love with her. And there's more to that that we can discuss here in a little bit. But his goal is just to look into the local KKK hmm. clan. That's that's not the right way of saying that. The KKK local chapter. Chapter. Yeah. That's it. Chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and try to figure out if he can find something on them. Maybe they're actually doing something violent where they could be arrested. And so he goes. They go in to investigate that, and that's sort of the the plot. So it's it's right. you can kind of in and of itself see the dynamics there. You have a black police officer who is investigating the the local KKK, and um, yeah, just. But it's mostly just like a crime film that's a lot of fun and it's silly. There's some heavy components to yeah. it, but yeah, I think Spike Lee does a really good job. And and it it was I think one of the things that was most interesting about watching the movie was um, uh, seeing how the audience was responding to the movie. And he does a really good job, I think, at the beginning of disarming the audience with comedy um, and situational type comedy where it's like, yeah, this is there's this black guy who's uh, pretending to be a white guy on the phone with the guy who's leading the, the clan, you know, mm. and, and the, the, his, who's the, David Duke. Who's it's David actually Duke. David Duke. Who's still alive. You know, I'm sure you guys right. are yeah. very aware of him played by Topher Grace. Yeah. So this um, is based on a true story. Yes. yes based on a true story. I should have said that already. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It, it's based on a book 
uh, well, based on a true story, the guy wrote a book about it, yeah. and then the movie's based off of the book, I think. And but, definitely some clear things that, you know, they took liberties on. Like oh, the Adam sure. Driver character was yeah. not actually Jewish, things like that. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, just watching the audience, there were times where the audience was in the theater was laughing a lot at, at stuff early on, and I was like, it's kind of funny, and it's also really sad, mm-hmm. uh, the things that, that he's saying that it, that's it's like racial slurs that he's saying towards himself basically on the phone with with david duke and it's like this is it's funny situationally but it's also really sad you know um and then you get to the end of the movie and it was it's really pretty heavy at the very end of the movie um and literally nobody there was nobody talking at the end of the movie it was just complete silence and so um like a really awkward silence. Part of that's the way the movie ends. Yeah. Like, the, like it ends on a very heavy note. Despite right. being, Dramatic? Yeah. Should, should we talk about that? I mean, that's a spoiler. Don't but, spoil yeah, it. I don't want to spoil wanna, it. I don't, yeah. don't spoil it for me. Okay. <laughs> could, I just, could, I, could I just say it cuts to some footage of present day racial injustice in America? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it makes, yeah. it's a commentary on what's going on right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah, exactly. He makes I mean, ties to it, yeah. yeah. The whole film is, is doing that. So okay. in this situation, you have this David Duke character who's talking a lot about America and he's using a lot of language about make America great again. That's the tra- that's in yeah. the trailer. Yeah, you yeah, see all that in that's the, trailer. the That's the parallel is like, okay, he's Spike Lee's essentially saying that we have finally, or at this point, you know, voted in this president who embodies these same ideas of the KKK from mm-hmm. 1972, which are just, you know, white supremacy, white nationalism, those sorts of things. He makes things. a lot of political statements in the movie, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's very direct, and Spike Lee's always been a pretty heavy-handed director. He's not subtle in the way that he delivers political yeah. messages, and that's what makes this movie really unique compared to other movies in like we talked about the This Is America music video on a previous episode. Then you have a movie like Jordan Pills Get Out. You had this Sorry to Bother You, which was another w- movie on race. Those movies are more stylistic. Uh-huh. They're more nuanced. They're like I would say that the average person might not end up at the theater to see those movies. I know Get Out did really well, but like my parents, they probably wouldn't watch this movie. But like this is would be more of a movie that I feel like people would find accessible because it is a yeah. crime film and it deals with the issue of race pretty, yeah, pretty broadly, pretty clearly. And it's, it, it's not. It's, it's still lighthearted at times, you know. Well, the, well, to be clear too, Spike Lee's a. Like, if you're interested in film, he would be, especially American film, he oh. would be an integral... Oh, yeah, if you uh, study uh, film in college, you no. would be studying Spike Lee yeah. films. Yeah. Yeah. And he makes good mo- There's a ton of great movies. Right. And some he's dealing with issues of race. Some he's dealing with... I mean, he, he does deal with issues of race, but he's a New York filmmaker. His studio was down the street from my apartment when I lived up there. Um, and, Humble brag. Yep, yeah, no big deal. Braggart. Uh, but... Just to say, like, some of it is, like, New York culture, like, especially his early films. Uh, he does a lot of well, cool stuff. Well, Do the Right stuff. Thing is, the right thing is yeah. a super hot summer day in Brooklyn. That's right. right. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, How would you, David, I was curious, um, like, how would you relate this film or compare this film to a film like Django Unchained, which kind of is, like, looking at, you know, race, yeah. tension, well, but from a very, very different... Django's, uh, God, I have to go back on that one and think about it. I, I had a lot of, as well executed as that movie was in some ways, and I want to recognize that. I had some serious problems oh, yeah. with that movie. I it's, did too. It's I very did. similar to yeah. Inglorious Bastards, which I'll just say. Uh, that's yeah. the name of the movie. But <gasps> oh, um, 
it was very similar in that he takes a he's rewriting history, right? Like right. he's turning the oppressed into the oppressor. That's what happens in Django. And so I right. I, I felt like it's hyper real. Yeah, it's, hyper real. It's like over the top. It's it, he's making very clear statements in it, but it's also like highly stylized. Yes, highly well. stylized. So, but anyway, I just think that that. That went a direction that I I didn't feel like was ultimately the goal was like unifying or like I didn't feel like Tarantino was trying to create a movie that would create forgiveness and healing and restoration and reconciliation when it comes to the topic of race. And then I think you could argue that movies, the the things that I mentioned earlier, like Get Out and Sorry Mm -hmm. to Bother You. I think that they're important and good. I don't know that they're still trying to like achieve those things as much as they're just trying to bring awareness to that race is an issue, that racial injustice is a problem, which is we need those kinds of things. This one felt really unique because I felt like it had a spirit of like unity. And even yeah. even for someone who finds themselves on the other political spectrum, maybe they did vote for Trump or maybe that they would be uncomfortable normally with a movie on race, like he he humanizes and creates some empathy even around some of the the white police officers yeah. and things like that that I it just felt more I was yeah. like middle like he was trying to a create middle a middle a middle ground yeah. a middle path and he's been criticized say, for that. Yeah, I was going to say and maybe you disagree. I think he one he did a really good job of comparing the white power movement and the black power movement and showing like hey this is what these people stand for. This is what these people stand for. And he also did I felt like he did a pretty good job of saying like there was um there was a failure to see the good in other people on both sides at some points in the movie you know obviously um there's a lot more behind the black power movement than what the white power movement seems like it was just motivated by a lot of hate and racism and the black mm-hmm. power movement is not you know well yeah there's that part- there's a particular scene in the movie where they're cutting back and forth from the the right. lo- local chap chapter of the black student union and then these Klansmen right. who are watching birth of a nation which was a you know this super old movie that has a lot of racism and the kkk right. plays a big part in it and it cu- it's cutting back and forth and you have the white people saying white power and then this at the black student union you have this guy telling the story of a lynching and it's heavy right. it's, it's dark yeah and at the end of it though they say black power, black power. and that, that's a really important i thought that was a really important piece to show that they're different. White right. power and black power are different. Yeah. One yeah. is based around power right. and persecution. The other one, one is, is like resilience and, and justice. And yeah. justice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I thought that that was really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. The so, other, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so you would say, go see it? Everybody go see it? Or is it one of those where you're like, hey, be. Yeah. I, it's heavy for sure. Yeah. It has some language, you know. Yeah police officers, the KKK. I just got to say that. Like, I have to say that because I know that people will e- email us. Yeah. Yeah. Some people are offended by those things, and I don't think that that's wrong if they're offended by that. But, like, there's heavy profanity in this movie, um, and then there's some some violent, hard things to watch. But, yeah. I, yeah, I feel like it really moves forward the conversation right now in our society around race. There is a this idea that this black police officer is able to make a statement in the movie, and this isn't a spoiler, but it kind of embodies what Chris and I were just talking about. He talks about, he's like, I believe in the black revolution, but I also believe in police reform and the idea of me being a police officer. And I think both of those things can be, like, it's not an either or. And you do not hear (laughs) that said very often at all right now in this current conversation. And I know it's way more complex than that. And that there are nuances to understanding 
police brutality and all these things. But he, yeah, and he even talks about not how not all police officers are are evil, but they some of them are, right? And yeah. that there are things in the system that are broken. So yeah, it's just it 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 does some really important things I think for the conversation and for Christians in particular. I think that there are some things that we can resonate with along those lines. Well, you guys, uh, honestly, I wasn't eager to go see the movie, but hearing you guys talk about it, I really feel like not only do I want to, I should. Yeah. It sounds like something that would be really interesting. Um, it's really well done. Yeah. Right. All right, well, topic number three. You ready for topic number three? Adam, take us there. Let's talk about the family unit. So we have covered the entire range today. We've gone from <laughs> email and phone scam slash spam <laughs> yeah. to movies. To robots. And, yeah, yeah. Well, and robots to movies. And now something that um, is equally important, uh, <laughs> we have <laughs> uh, the family unit. And actually, there's been a lot written about the idea of fertility rates dropping in the West. Um, So much so that I've read things recently, well, and also issues, it's been happening in um, other, I guess you'd say, developed nations or developing nations in Asia, too. I know with Japan, especially, and China, uh, birth rates have declined big time, and there's different reasons for that. Um, but so many people are talking about this idea that actually they used to say, oh, there's going to be an overpopulation problem. But now there's a fear that the population will drop off in a very heavy way and it may cause real problems. And you're seeing those, like I said, come to fruition in places like Japan where you have a population of really, you know, old, very old people uh, who are having to stay in the workforce longer, who are having to uh, rely on a lot more benefits. And you do not have an, un- you don't do not have a generation underneath um, coming up that will be able to, to carry the load so much so that they're actually like advertising and saying things like, please have babies and stuff like yeah. that. And trying to incentivize it as much as possible uh, for different reasons. It's happening in Western societies, but America has seemed to sort of weather that storm. Uh, and there were a lot of factors that people would point to. One of that was immigration, that there are uh, you know, a lot of families coming here who still value the family. It's super important, and they're having lots of babies uh, and, and, and other reasons. But for the last two years, it's actually not been the case. We are seeing our, um, the, our you know, sort of I don't know, population of babies decline dramatically and actually matching the decline that's happening in other Western societies. And so, really? yeah. And so a recent article in the New York Times came out, said it's called Americans are having fewer babies. They told us why, where they basically go out and poll young people and ask, why aren't you having, why aren't, why aren't you having babies? Right. Uh, and it was, an, it's, it's a fascinating article and there's lots of reasons given. Um, the, the top three are really, uh, that they want more personal time. Uh, people want more freedom. They don't want to be shackled by having to give up all of their time or their careers or whatever uh, to raising children. The other is that they they don't have a partner yet. People are waiting longer to get married, right? Mm-hmm. People are waiting until uh, their lot, you know, maybe they feel like they have some foundation under their feet or something, and it prolongs it so long that some then just have the choice not to have one at all. Mm-hmm. And then finally, you have uh, just an economic insecurity happening. I think, you know, even just since to the recession, the Great Recession of 2008, there's just, there has been in the ether just an economic insecurity. I mean, think about how much you still hear 
talk about bubbles and a new housing bubble coming or a new student loan bubble coming or something like that. There's just it's always in the ether now. It's something that really a lot of these young people have grown up with. We're going on 10 years after that Great Recession. And think if you were 16 during that time, you grew up in a period of time where economic instability was a big deal. Uh, and yeah. so it's on people's minds. And so the, people are just saying things like in, in this article, even saying like, you know, education is really important. I don't, I don't know that I'd be able to afford education for my children, those kind of things. And so um, it's a really fascinating, it's a fascinating article. They point to a lot of reasons that uh, we're not having children, but I think it's one that is, um, it's, there's more nuance there. Uh, meaning there are certain populations that are continuing to have more children than others, but overall in America we're having fewer babies. And it does lead – it's not just like high five, you know, everything's going to be okay. It, there are very real problems that come at the end of Do that. Do you see that? Do you see people in our generation like having less kids than their parents had or waiting longer to get married? I, if you're talking to me, no. Uh, and I think, but that's because of my, our particular context. So I think if you were actually to look at like evangelicals and things like that, certainly the rate has dropped, but frankly, their birth rates are higher. That's true for Mormons, right? That's true for uh, certain uh, demographics, like Hispanics generally have more children uh, um, because of the way they value family and because of their culture. Uh, but they're actually saying that those those rates are changing just a little more slowly. Huh. So we are having fewer, but I'm just saying in my particular context, I feel like every everybody's having kids. But when I lived in New York, for example, nobody did. And most of my friends who went to law school with me in the Northeast are my age, I'm 35. Most of them don't have kids. Still. Still. So you're talking 30, you know, between 30 and 35 year olds, some are married, some aren't, but, but I would say most of them don't have kids. So again, it just kind of depends demographically, I think where you're at, but yeah, which frankly, in our parents' time, that would be almost unheard of, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, to be 35, to not, to be married, to not really be considering having kids. And and I just want to disclaimer, this is not like to shame anybody. If you, yeah. you don't have kids uh, for whatever reason or you're not planning on having kids, I'm not making a judgment. It's simply to say that um, there are issues that happen when on a large scale a society stops having children. So, yeah. yeah. No, I was just going to say I haven't seen like in my sort of circle um, and personally I haven't seen people having less kids necessarily, but I have seen people waiting longer to have kids for that whole idea of leisure, yeah. they're traveling more. They're wanting to continue to go to a few more places before they, you know, settle down and, and have kids. So I'm seeing that. I think even within our church, I feel like there yeah. that happens. Um, like later, you mean? Like yeah, you, just yeah. Having, yeah, just being yeah, married true. for ten years before you have kids would not be completely abnormal, even you know here at the village and you know. Well, I think the. The uh, article makes an interesting point, too. It talks about, like, for my parents' generation and the generation before, it was like having children almost, like, was the beginning of your adulthood. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like that's that's how they define it. And even my grandmother, she, she had my uncle at 17, I think. You know, she got married at 16. And so, I mean, that was just, I guess, what you did, you know. And that's that's not... Even for me, I mean, my wife and I, we just had our first child and we were married for seven years. And, um, you know, we had there was some difficulty there, but uh, we waited purposefully um, mm -hmm. to not have children because 
uh, we wanted to be married and you know so there is a shift for sure a shift in um when you should have children why you would have children and and i think a big part of it you said that too adam was is the economic reason i mean i i have friends that i graduated college with that graduated with like a hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt and when you're looking at that and a car payment and your bills and then you're going to try and add a child to that it's just it's not possible you know unless you're just making a ton of money you know so but what's interesting is i think the mindset to some degree has changed yeah Yeah, Um, like even if you look at size the size of families are different i have three kids people tell me all the time whoa you got such a big family and i'm like no way my mom (laughs) came from an irish catholic family of of seven children you know right that was a big fam back then and even among their group that was like actually pretty normal Normal, Normal, you know her mom had nine kids in their family you know it's like those were big families uh my dad's family had four kids and you know even in our own thing well it's like seven versus four that seems small but to them it was average four kids sort of felt average you know maybe a little above average but now three feels but you know you'll be in the grocery store and people are like whoa and it's just like most people are having one two kids what's the the average used to be 2.5 i think it's down from that but but speaking to the mindset though too like I do feel like, uh, and this will make me sound old, but I don't know that the family, somebody just said a second ago that it used to be like a, that was the mark of adulthood or it was something that you, I don't feel like family is what's valued necessarily right. anymore. Meaning like now we, where now we weigh the option, oh, debt we can't make and that's not a judgment call it's just saying that might not even have been something that really factored in as much back yeah. in the day right uh, not not because people weren't in debt certainly people were in debt i know things have changed student loan people are taking on debt earlier in their lives and all these different kind of things but i, I can't help but think when the family was valued it just wouldn't have been it'll be like oh we'll figure it out yeah. you know what i mean it was like, like this oh, is well, just what we do now. this is what we do yeah, yeah. Do well that's think- the same thing i think the mindset change about uh leisure and traveling it's the other end of the economic art argument to say, well, I want to have the time with my spouse to be able to go and do what we want to do unencumbered by children before we have them. I don't know that generations ago, as an average middle-class American, that would have been the same discussion. Like the way they viewed work and the way they viewed leisure would be different. And I certainly think the Christian should view leisure as rest to prepare for work, not work is the way that I get enough money to do the kind of leisure activities I want to do. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask, and I, I want to be careful not to like try and shame anybody who's decided not to have kids or only have one kid, but is there something, um, broken in the mindset of how we view families as believers, you know, as a generation, like it's, are we not valuing the family unit like we should be? Is that, uh, is that a issue with the the commandment to be fruitful and multiply? You know, is that or that children are a blessing, or that yeah. children are a blessing? Is that an issue that that we're not talking about? You know, I think that what's come with a birth control movement is a feeling of control that says I get to decide how many kids we have, which is also. Uh, not our generation is not the first one to feel that, but that's different than it used to be yeah. where we feel like now I do determine how big my family will be. I will determine uh, based on whatever contraceptives a family might use or methods a family might use how many kids I have. And so there's a feeding into an idea of control over that that's new. 
and that the Lord did not command, like, you will decide how many kids you have, but there is an idea yeah. where the Lord opens and closes the womb. Man, I think even, yeah, that's a good point, because I think even in the process of my wife and I trying to have uh, children, um, it really showed me personally just how much of an idol of control I had. Like, we want to have a child at this time. Okay, we're ready to have a child. Um, ideally, it'll be this gender, yeah. you know. And then, you know, we decide to have a kid, and we don't have a kid for two years, you know. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, we're really not in control <laughs> of this, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think, um, yeah, to Chris's question, is there a problem with the way the church— I, I would just say I think we've probably— imbibe like imbibed the culture we've probably taken it in a little too much and here all i'm all i mean by that is some of the things you guys have already pointed out i don't know how you you can't help but be influenced by the idea that what used to be fulfilling yeah. if you ask somebody what the good life was yeah. back in the day and maybe it was just as wrong because it wasn't based in a christian belief but it was just based in what the cultural milieu was at that time yeah. <laughs> but but it was part of what it looked like to have a fulfilled life was to have a full a bunch of kids and yeah. this job and this thing and now Family that's around the different. dinner table yeah, yeah now what's different is sort of the um the freedom that comes freedom. if you don't have them. Yeah, how do I how do I not have a job? How do I keep from having responsibility? How yes. do I have a job that's the thing I just like to do? You know, and yep. and again, I'm not trying to shame people. My grandfather came over from Dublin. Uh, he uh, worked as a typesetter for the Times Picune uh, and a lead typesetter. Right. Mm. Start the he married the woman who uh, the the woman's daughter at the boarding house basically for these Irish guys who would all come over. And then when there was a dip in the economy, he would ride on top of a train to St. Louis to work as like a long sh- whatever they call that where you're pulling stuff off the boats that mm-hmm. would come up the Mississippi River to St. Louis and then ride back like on the weekend to take care of his family. That's how he would make money. Here's the thing. I'm not it's not like walking uphill both ways, you know, or <laughs> yeah, whatever yeah. and shoeless or whatever. But I'm just saying like to him, he did all that cuz it was worth it. Why? Because of the idea of responsibility and family and these kind of things were so important. Now today, it's more like how do I not how do I just like make my drawing habit into a job you know what i mean or how do i like it's like work is not valued family is not valued what's valued are things like how do i spend my life in the south of france yeah you know what i mean or something i'm glad you brought up that first part though because the the thing that in these conversations in particular i always want to be careful about is not painting a picture of like the world is getting worse or on the on the other side of that that the world is getting better because as christians we're not progressives in that sense and we don't we don't believe that the the world's going to hell in a handbasket right like we have a different viewpoint of all that but Mm -hmm. because yeah i'm sure back in the day maybe family was was an idol you know in in a way that it's not today and other things are idols so you know it's just a, a different issue for a different time but there is something to say about I've been thinking, I don't know that much about Catholicism, but they have such a strong foundation when it comes to, I mean, they have papers, documents, this is our stance on birth control, this is our stance on the family. It makes you wonder, like, as evangelicals, does some of this have to do with the fact that we don't have that really strong foundation, like, where we can, we really know what the Bible says or where we stand when it comes to family, like an underdeveloped and, theology of yeah, the family. an underdeveloped yeah. theology of the family. Like we we don't really 
we value this, but not so much like because they're not they're not being affected by this. I don't think Catholics. I, I guess maybe they are. I don't know. Enough. No, no, no. I mean that's true. Not as much, right? They're one of the demographics who they still have big families. They still seem to value the family. Those kind of things. I think you can see culturally though, and I think if you look at uh, music, movies, TV, which we tend to look at a lot to determine mm-hmm. culture. Uh, children not cherished the same way that they were cherished in other generations. There's much more. Uh, uh, whether you watch commercials, children are the annoyance for the for right. the comic relief. They're yeah. not the wow congratulations. And I think one of the problems the church does have is uh, the church should be the place where every child in every circumstance is cherished. And we tend to be the church where planned children are very cherished, and people feel more awkward around the unplanned child. Whether it's you're late in life and you got pregnant, and didn't expect it, or you aren't married yet, you got pregnant, didn't expect it, or the crisis pregnancy. People feel awkward around and they don't know quite what to say, but a church should be a place where every child, every circumstance is cherished. And I feel like that relates to the idol of control we were talking about before, but it is absolutely a a cultural shift. I think the same way you'd see it in gender, in the way homes were presented in past generations, wives and husbands were presented differently than they are presented now. Mm -hmm. It's very typical to see a sitcom where where the husband is very dopey and the wife is very bright. The husband makes a lot of mistakes and she's got to fix them all for him. And the children are obnoxious. That's kind of the modern day sitcom. Mm-hmm. That's not the way it was 40 years ago. That's not to say our culture shifted or changed. Maybe it's just more acceptable to display these things. But I think the church has an opportunity to display every kid, whether you have 10 kids or one kid, is cherished and should be celebrated. Yeah. And I think, like, maybe the problem too isn't that we haven't taught well on this because I think we do teach well around family and children. But I've thought a lot about, like, this sounds like like a heavy terminology, but like embodied practices around this. So it's like we say that we value family and we say that we value children, but I feel like my home group in the past, maybe not right now, the conversation tends to be like, what are we going to do with the kids? Yeah. You know, like like as if they're a burden, right? Yeah. So like we, we believe one thing, but when it comes down to home group and doing community together, and I think there is something valuable about like having time away from your kids to be around adults and to do discipleship but it's like we're viewing them as an obstacle yeah. versus like and that's a practice versus like a teaching exactly right. right and so and we you do, you do the same thing in church too people come if a kid's crying you know it's like they're a distraction it's things like that i think where we could grow as the church versus yeah. like more sermon series around this topic. Not that that would be bad, but I just think that we need to think more creatively. Yeah, I've been challenged on that exact thing by a good friend of mine who's an atheist who's always wanted to have kids, and he's heard me talk about my kids, and any time it's snuck into the conversation where I talk about them like an annoyance, he's pushed me on it and said, the the way you're talking about your kids, I know is not the way you actually feel, but for me who's always wanted to have kids, it just doesn't ring true. You know, I've always wanted, you're talking about them like you need to find someone to get them off your plate, and that's... I would just love the blessing of having to walk through that. Hey, a little like little turn, but what's interesting to me is like, and I think it goes back to this idea of like uh, idol of family and what's really cherished. But uh, it is funny to think back, right? Because we're going well back in the day, people did whatever and they wanted these kids, and that was part of a fulfilled life. But if you look at how they actually treated their children yeah. versus today, and I wonder if that's part of it too, is like the amount of thought and intentionality and what you're supposed to be to your kid, like that's yeah. also really changed. Like to be involved, to, to love them this way and to do that. Whereas like an involved father, an involved father. Whereas yeah. like, if you could just go back, maybe even only a generation of parents, it's like you had a kid, they're working, you know, or whatever. It's just like, you know, and I don't mean like working in a factory or whatever, but like, you know what I'm saying? It's Absolutely. like 
open the door. They're playing outside from sunup till sundown. Yeah. Then they're allowed to come in, and they better clean up and do everything right. You so know? You're saying the value maybe has changed in what we want to do in parenting. That's my point. And so that has changed maybe the kind of families we want to control and create. That's I think that's right. You know, and I'm not saying it's for good or ill. It's just a. It, it's maybe to go back and point out that like. There is no such thing as like the golden age. Right. It doesn't right. exist. Yeah. Like you can go back every generation and find the problems. Uh, and so I don't think the solution for the church is to like go back. No. In a, oh, you know what I mean? Not. Like yeah. to say like, well, we it needs to be like the 50s again or something. No. That is uh, the wrong way to approach this. I think it really is a looking forward. It's shaping the practices we have now. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, yes, reinforcing our teaching and thinking about it more. Uh, but it's also will involve actually, and I mean this, uh, I think it also involves like shepherding and loving our singles very well, yeah. you know, representing f- what family is to them. So for the folks that can't have kids or for the folks who right now don't have a partner or whatever, or feel too financially burdened or whatever, who are existing in our church, it's not to be like, you need to have kids. You know, that's not the, I don't think that's the answer either. I think it's actually displaying what family looks like. And what that means is inviting them in, mm-hmm. inviting yeah, them in. If every conversation be- is about like finding that person a spouse yes, or trying to exact, set them up with someone yeah. then yeah it's like yeah, what are we doing yeah what are we doing yeah. here yeah. yeah well adam thanks for bringing up the articles about family unit and it is really interesting to think uh not that the church needs to tell everybody hey have more babies so we can resolve some world issue but to be aware that the birth rates are changing what does that tell us about culture and what does the the church do three different topics three very different directions a new movie black Klansman, phone and email scams and also the family unit uh which I think- let me say there's so many more things to say about that movie, like a lot more things to say. Well, I have a lot more to tell you about phone scams, trust me. <laughs> uh, but really, I think what brings all these and threads them together is that we want to be helpful in helping Christians think about how do we interact with these things? How do we help the person who's more susceptible to scams? How do we interact with culture when it comes to movies about race? And then how do we address bigger cultural issues like family unit changes in the way we think about family? So all these come back to how do we help pastor and minister to somebody through what our culture is going through? If there's anything you heard on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details on our website. Today's episode was produced by David Roark and edited and mixed by Chris Starrett. Our next episode is going to be with author and founder of Christ and Pop Culture, Alan Noble. He'll be in the studio to talk about his new book, Disruptive Witness. So we'll see you next time. God bless. Thanks for listening.